Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. I woke up and I just went, the snow, the timing, the timing. But thank you for being here. Uh, if we have not met, my name is Nathan, and we just love that you joined us this morning. Hey, I want to take you back, or maybe to something that you may just operate daily with it in mind. I want you to think through those pieces of life advice that maybe somebody gave you when you were younger that you just, whether you realize it or not, it still serves as kind of the lens through which you process life. Things like this. I, I was writing down a few that have come through in my life. In my younger years, very simple one. I still live by this one. Don't eat yellow snow. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's good advice. And honestly, any color snow. Probably don't eat it, okay? There was my dad uh, when I was younger, wisest advice he ever gave me. You can pick your friends. You can pick your nose. You cannot pick your friend's nose, okay? <laughs> then there was, uh, we, we learned by experience this one, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, yeah. Then there was, uh, I remember a friend when we were younger, I was complaining about how long homework took. And he said, listen, if you wait till the last minute, it only takes a minute. <laughs> now, that was, that was manageable with homework. I went, you know what I discovered? Men, uh, I, was, I was at King Supers the night before Valentine's Day. A lot of men living by that advice right there. And honey, I was there to get stuff for, for next year, not, not this year, all right? Um, we talked about this, and we've talked about this a little bit when it comes to relationships with others. You pray for a soft heart and thick skin, right? Uh, there's uh, one that I remember um, my grandparents saying, do not let your mouth write checks that your back cannot cash. It's a good reminder. And then there were just the lessons I learned driving with grandma. They lived in small town Nebraska, and I remember one day, she, I mean, it was like population less than 200 people in this town, but we came from the city to visit them. And so she had turned into this, uh, the wrong lane, like oncoming traffic. And I said, Grandma, you're, you're in the wrong lane. You can't do that. And she said, Nathan, you can do anything you put your mind to. <laughs> I later discovered she also felt that if a stop sign had a white border, it was optional. If you didn't like the timing of a red light, it was optional. Speed limit, it was a suggestion, that kind of thing. And then I came across something the other day that this guy told me was a piece of advice that he was given. This is my favorite. His dad told him, never fry bacon with your shirt on. That way you won't get grease stains. <laughs> and I just thought, ow, ow, not going to try that one. Well, the reason I bring all that up is because we are in week three of this series, Walking Through the Book of Jonah. And these first two weeks, we've had two questions come out that I truly believe your answer to those questions and my answer to those questions will guide how we interpret every single thing that we deal with in life. And that first week, you remember we got through all of three verses of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and Jonah ran. Jonah ran. And, and the question that we came away with that week was really tied to the reason Jonah ran. Who is he? Who is the Lord really in my life? Because there's something to, Jonah had seen God operate before. He'd seen him answer. He'd seen him work. But there was something in that moment that the word of the Lord came to him that Jonah, 
You know what Jonah did? He said, no, I trust my plan better than yours. And whatever the Lord suggested to Jonah at that moment was more of a suggestion to Jonah. And Jonah said, I'm going my way. And then that second week, that second week, we got, to, we got through three more verses of Jonah. And Jonah, he ran. And, and as he ran, it says the Lord hurled. I always just think this is such cool imagery. The Lord hurled a wind upon the sea. And there was a great big storm. And as he got into the middle of this storm on this boat with some other sailors, he discovered, or they discovered, that this was a prophet who didn't pray, who didn't call out to his God in life's storms. No, this was a prophet that wanted to check out. And this was a prophet that wanted to go to sleep. And so that second week, we asked this question. Not just who is he, really, to me, but am I connecting with him, really? Because in that connection with him, that is when we have the spiritual resources to bring to life's storms, whether they're of our own doing or not. And God often puts people in front of us, in our path, who are walking through storms. And the question is, what do we bring? As followers of Jesus Christ, what do we bring to the storms of life? What kind of spiritual resources do we have? And so, as we move through Jonah, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. We're going to get through chapter 1 today. But as we walk through chapter 1, and as we walk through the rest of Jonah, those two questions serve as a guide. And they help us understand how we process or maybe misinterpret the things that God does and the things that God allows in our lives. And so I want to pick up actually where we started last week. Because there are a few different areas of life that as you look, as, you, as we take a look at what has happened to Jonah and what has happened to the sailors, there are some misinterpretations that as I think about their situation, as I draw some parallels to my own life and our lives, I believe there are some areas we can just misinterpret what God is doing and what he's allowing, maybe because of our answers to these questions. So pick up with me in Jonah chapter 1 verse 4. You know, if you were here last week, you heard this. Then the Lord sent or hurled a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So now Jonah has run. He's in a storm. Verse 5, all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck. And this is the second time in the first five verses we see, but Jonah Jonah, there's an opportunity, but Jonah. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the, and the sailors, they're crying out. And Jonah, remember what we talked about last week? He's checking out. And there, after desperate prayers and desperate measures, and Jonah, he just can't go to sleep to escape it fast enough. Verse 6, the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? How can you sleep in this? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And as I think on their situation, there, there are a few things I notice. As you think about it, in the middle of life's storms, when we find ourselves caught up in a storm, whether it's our making and our doing or not, there is a sense of wanting to escape, isn't there? There's a there's a a sense of wanting to escape because as human beings, we are drawn to a comfort zone. 
were drawn to a comfort zone. In fact, you had sailors on the ship who thought the answer would be desperate prayers, desperate measures. Maybe that would get us back to comfort, to smooth sailing, literally smooth sailing for them. And Jonah thought, if I can just go to sleep, I can just forget about it. And yet, here they are, and the storm continues. And one of the things that jumps out to me is the lengths we will go to protect a comfort zone, won't we? Whether it's Jonah or whether it's the sailors, there's just a very human element. We will go to great lengths. We will run really far distances. Jonah would find boats that were just conveniently leaving to where he wanted to go. And then when all else failed, he just checked out. We'll go to great lengths to protect our comfort zones. I was reminded of this a couple months ago. I came, I had picked up Lainey from Bible study here, got home, came through the door from the garage, and Kara, my wife, is, she meets me and she said, real funny. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And she said, trying to scare us. And I was like, no, we, just, we just pulled in. Like, I'm a prankster, but I'll own it. I'll own it eventually, okay? And I went, what, what's going on? She said, there was a knock on the back door 10 minutes ago. Well, it wasn't us. Wasn't us at all. And you know that feeling. Suddenly, everything inside you goes, okay, what was that? And the comfort zone is thrown into disarray. Found out a couple days later on Nextdoor app, there were people just even a block from us that their backyard camera caught a guy. He's just walking into backyards throughout the neighborhood. I went, okay, well, at least we have the answer, but, you know, we'll go to these irrational extremes to find a solution to protect our comfort, won't we? So I went, that's it. I got a plan. We're buying a lion, an eagle, and a great white shark, hon. <laughs> We're going to cover land, air, and sea. Nobody's getting into this place. She's like, yeah, that's a great, great plan, Nathan. How's that going to work? I was like, dog trainer. If they can train a dog, they can train a lion, all right? And she went, okay, and the eagle? We're going to tether it to the roof. And takes care of the bunnies, too, all right? So it's great, great solution. She said, okay, and how's this great white shark come into play? Digging a moat around our house. And she said, what about friends, family, neighbors that want to come see us? What if, they, what if they get eaten? What are you going to do? Because all this is in front of the kids. And I said, you know what? They just weren't that dedicated and committed to coming to see us then. <laughs> But we will go to some irrational lengths to protect our comfort zone and our own security, won't we? And all you have to do is look around and look at news headlines and know that there is nowhere we can run, that this world and its storms cannot affect us, but there is nowhere we can go and nowhere we can run that God cannot reach us either. I mean, I'm reminded of the reports of, you know, ring doorbells. Maybe you've read about them, like, People have figured out how to hack into those. Um, that's not to upset anybody that's got a ring doorbell in here. Just buy a lion and eagle and a great white shark. You'll be fine. And I'm reminded of reports of, you know, we store files in the cloud now. And it seems like a couple times a year you're hearing about one of these cloud storage services getting hacked into. I read a story last year about a man who he felt when he was putting these Rolex watches into a safe deposit box at the bank, he felt he was putting those into like Fort Knox, and it had that level of protection. So you can imagine his surprise when a year and a half later, he came back for them, and they were gone. 
A bank error led to them giving his box to somebody else. And see, when those things happen, when we've gone to all kinds of lengths to protect our comfort zone, and somehow that gets violated, somehow our comfort is thrown out of whack, if your answer to those first two questions is the Lord is a suggestion, or we haven't been connecting with him, it's real easy to see this as God's fault. And it feels like payback. It can feel like payback when our comfort zone is upset and somebody crosses our boundaries. Well, it continues. It continues as we go through Jonah, verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots. Now, how is this for making a decision? Let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, listen, I have flipped a coin over, like, lunch and where to eat, okay? But this is, this is another level. I mean, I cannot imagine. Can you imagine making a major life decision that affects somebody else's life by casting lots? Now, we don't know the specific method of what was meant by casting lots, but I imagine flipping a coin or rolling the dice. I mean, can you imagine picking a spouse that way? I mean, that might have been what Kara did with me. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it, you just would never do this. But as it went, they determined, and I bet they could have guessed before they even did this, that there's something about the new guy that just showed up on the boat. They cast lots and determined it was him. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And if you notice, these are identity questions. These are the kinds of questions that we ask people all the time, especially when you meet somebody new. What's the first question we ask? What's your name? What do you do? Where are you from? What's your name? What do you do? Where are you from? It's exactly what they're asking Jonah here. And notice his answer. He answered, I am a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew. And, second, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And you can hear it in Jonah's answer. He already understands he's not going to outrun this God. But he thought he would try. He thought he would try. But do you notice the order there? He, he, he identified with his people and his roots and his activities first and his worship of the Lord second. And as I thought about Jonah and as, as I shook my head, like, oh, I suddenly had a look in the mirror moment. And I thought, how many places, how many places would I answer that question the same way Jonah did? Because we all have an area where we would say, I am fill in the blank. Don't we? Yeah. See, Jonah has not just physically run. Jonah internally has run. He's run from his truest identity that is first and foremost a worshiper of the Lord. He, so after answering this, verse 10, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. See, we tie our identity to our activities, to our roots, to the company that we keep. And when, we, when it all gets unmasked, 
when it all gets unmasked, it is so disorienting, isn't it? Because not only will we go to great lengths to protect our comfort zone, but we will go to great lengths to build an identity. I was reminded it's been about a month ago, Kobe Bryant was killed in a helicopter accident. And I remember, as I, as I was reading articles that came out about him afterward, this is maybe the first athlete I remember that there was not just a, it, it was not just talking about basketball when it came to Kobe Bryant. There were all kinds of things that he went on to do. And as I thought about it, I thought, I'm not sure I've ever heard of this. Somebody whose identity was so tied to basketball, but then they went on and it was like when they closed the door to basketball, there were other things, there were other parts. He was dad, he was a, uh, media, a media mogul, and he was building a media business. And I thought back to an interview I saw with uh, Ronda Rousey. She, she was climbing the ranks in uh, mixed martial arts, women's mixed martial arts. And I remember she was just dominating every opponent. And in 2015, she lost, and she lost badly one match. In the article, the interview that was done with her afterward, she was completely lost. She said, I, I always associated with winning. I, I don't really know who I am. And there are countless other athletes that you can read after their careers are done, out on the court, out on the field, out on the track, that years later they're still trying to find an identity. Michael Jordan on his 50th birthday, Sports Illustrated did an interview with him in 2013. And he said, if I could get back to my playing weight, I would still be out there. And when I watch games, I still imagine everything I would do and I thought, one, he, I mean, he was brilliant on the basketball court. But isn't it true that we work really, really hard to build an identity? And when that identity gets unmasked in some way, because of the world we live in, because of the running we do, it can kind of feel like payback. And the fact that God allowed it can kind of feel like, God, this, this seems like payback for me running. For me, looking outside of you. Well, as it continues, we see one more area of our lives that can get affected. Verse 11, and I love, I love this question. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, how would you like to be asked this? What should we do to you? What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Because they understood somebody has to be responsible. And somebody has to pay a price. And Jonah, we flipped a coin, we rolled the dice, and it's you. It's you. And for the first time in this chapter, and for the first time in these few weeks, we actually start to see a shift inside Jonah. Listen to his answer. Verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And there's this realization. It's, it's so, I'm, I'm just captivated by this. God came to Jonah and he said, I want you to go to the Ninevites because I want to see them turn around. I want to see them repent. I want to see them come to me. I've got a heart for them. But where did the work have to happen first? Had to happen in Jonah. And Jonah is beginning 
to change direction. Instead, the men did their best, and this is just a very human element. In fact, this is what we're getting at. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Now, this is so convicting, isn't it? This is so convicting, is those who, if you have a relationship with God, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, here you have the sailors, the sailors who were crying out to other gods, and yet they're the ones, they're the ones that are trying with everything in them to keep Jonah from having to pay the price. And it speaks to this thing inside all of our human hearts, that we will not only go to great lengths to protect our comfort zones and our security, we will not just go to great lengths to build an identity, but we will go to great lengths to steer situations, won't we? And to, to try to maybe manipulate it to come out to our outcome that we have in mind. How many of you, let me ask this, this is a different question, how many of you don't play golf in here? All right, we're all going to connect right now. Everybody who plays golf, we're just going to be jealous of you, okay? Um, the, the first and only time I've ever gone out on a golf course, um, i got to be honest, I thought, I got this. I got this because, you know, I just thought, I've, I've worked out before and I've run before. And everybody who's playing golf is like, has this knowing smile right now because a lot of people, their first time at golf, first time swinging a golf club, you know what they do? They try to muscle it. And how does that go, golfers? Yeah, terrible, like duck, everybody. And that's exactly what happened the first time I swung a golf club. And this is exactly what happens when we try even harder. And we try to swing even harder at the situations we come up against. This is what the sailors were facing. They thought they would try even harder, even harder, and the sea only became more wild. And when our comfort is affected and our identities are unmasked and when we can't quite engineer the situation, it's easy in those moments to look at God and say, is this payback? Are you mad at me? Are, are you somehow angry with me? I, I don't know what was going through Jonah's mind. But I have to think, just in my own human experience, that the same thing that went through the sailor's mind was going through his mind. What do we do to calm this down? God, what do you need from me to appease the storm? We've all been there. And that's why I love the next couple verses. Verse 14. Then they cried out to the Lord. See, when you've tried everything, what is there left to do? Then they cried out to the Lord. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Because they recognized something, didn't they? They recognized that this was a different kind of storm, that it was God who hurled it upon them. So who was going to calm it? God. It was going to be God who calmed it. Verse 15. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Now you read this story, and you can't help but think about Jesus, can you? You cannot help but think about Jesus, because in the middle of a storm, 
when we've tried to protect our comfort zone and when the identity's been unmasked and we've tried everything we can think of and it still doesn't calm down, there's a reminder. There's a reminder in all of this that a price had to be paid. And God, God that maybe we interpreted as being mad and wanting payback, we discover, no, what if this isn't payback? What if this isn't God wanting payback? What if this is the reminder that we needed paid for? And the proof of that is that the sea grew calm. Instantly, he hits the water, and the raging sea grew calm. See, isn't it true that if you could always stay in a comfort zone, if we could always protect our identities, if we could always manipulate the solution to every situation, isn't it true that our trust would quickly shift to us? It would shift to us every single time. And God allowing a storm to come along is not because he wants payback. It's to bring us to the realization, to the acceptance, maybe to the reminder that you need paid for because you're not enough for this storm. You're not enough for this situation. You are not enough for what this broken world is going to throw at you. You're simply not enough. You need payment. You need payment. And so just as Jonah went to the water, you know, Jesus went to the cross. And in the act of going to the cross, here's the thing that I believe we struggle with still today. We know what he did on the cross. We look at the cross, we put it up there, but we forget what happened at the cross? That every last drop of wrath and anger that God has for sin was poured out on him. And there is none left. There is none left for those who are in Christ Jesus who have trusted them in his work at the cross. And yet we can still get up, can't we? And go, oh, I'm in a storm. This must be payback. My identity is like deteriorating. This must be payback. And I can't just make the situation work. This must be payback. And he said, no, you need paid for. And you hear all that and you go, God, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Because his heart is not to pay you back. It's for you to know that he paid the price to bring you back. Remember Jonah lost that identity? It's because God had an original created image for us. And God says, I want to bring you back to that. I want to bring you back to trust in me. And when that happens, then something incredible happens. And hopefully in our lives, but in the lives of those that we walk out these doors and see every single day. Verse 16. At this, at this, at this, not the fear, not the intensity of the storm, not the anger, not any of that. At this. The men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. See, I, I just, I read this, and I think this is a lot better way to get through to people, isn't it? N not to scare them, not to, not to bring up God's wrath and pour it out on them, but to remind them that somebody did take that payment. We can't lose sight of the wrath, but we, we can point that Jesus took it. Jesus took it. That's why when, when we, on the last night of Jesus' life, we point 
at the washing of the feet because it was a reminder of what he would do the next day, that he would clean the dirt. That's why when we take communion at the beginning of every single month, it's a reminder that he took the payment. That's why we do it, because at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. See, there are these acts of substitutionary love that we can take every single day that point people to God's heart. That he doesn't want to pay back. He wants to pay the price, and he did pay the price, to bring us back. And as I look throughout Scripture, I think one of the things that jumps out to me is that that just begins to change who I look for as a candidate to know this God with this incredible heart. As I look through Scripture, I mean, I look at a Jonah who the word of the Lord came to him and he ran. And then he ended up with sailors who cried out to other gods. And God was calling them to Ninevites who were absolutely cruel and they were enemies. And, and then I think to the New Testament, I think about Jesus talking about a prodigal son who took his father's inheritance and he, he ran off to a distant country and squandered it. And I think about disciples. I think about disciples who ran on the final night of Jesus' life. And the common thread in every single one of those is that God brought them back, welcomed them back, asked them, come back. And he had them back. So that ought to change who we look for, shouldn't it? When we go out these doors, it means we ought to look for those who are running from God. It means we might want to consider those who are crying out to other gods that we might want to consider those who seem adamantly opposed to God's ways, to those who seem to be squandering their lives, to those who are running, maybe for no other reason than their own safety, because they're scared, because this is a God who doesn't want payback. He, wants to pay, he paid the price to bring back. As the worship team comes up, I will end with this quote. It's from a woman named Madeline Langle. And she says this, we draw people to Christ, not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. See, that's the opportunity that we're given every single day to send that message. This isn't payback. He paid the price to bring you back. And in doing so, we become people that the world desperately needs. Let me pray. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, thank you once again that in all of our running and in the midst of the storms, I mean, just our human condition, there are, there's no telling the number of ways that we will uh, try to find solutions and try to fix it on our own. And thank you for the reminder that this is not payback, that our troubles are never payback. They're a reminder that you paid for. You paid for all of us on the cross, at the cross. And so remind us that that is actually a picture of your heart to bring back any and all people that you've called us to. And so open our eyes to that this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.